Hi everyone, this is Dave and this is uh, Making Problems to Solve. Today I'm talking to Patty Gilstrap, also known as Patty Brooklyn on Instagram. Uh, she's been she's done dance, puppets, <laughs> robots, and her main thing is sewing. Right now I also know she's into uh, forging. We met at the Hammer Inn over at the Blackthorn Resort. Um, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to talk to you this evening. That's great. I was looking back to see when uh, when we met, and I think it was at Keith Deason's house back uh, right before Maker Fair in 2018. There was a bunch of makers met up there, and I think that's where we met each other. Yep, that was. My, I was saying that was my first time going to sort of like a maker sort of event. I actually hadn't met anybody, and Keith invited me, and I said, "I'll just take the drive." And I have a feeling that that's I'm not going to get murdered in the woods, and I didn't. I met a lot of great people who I still keep in touch with. Oh, that's great. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, how did you, uh, I think you said the, you went to school for dance um, and you also were interested in fashion design at the time. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Yep. So uh, as a teenager, uh, I started dancing and I started sewing probably about the same time. So maybe about 15 or so, I got my first sewing machine. I was into dance. Um, and so then the age-old question of what are you going to major in in college comes along. And I applied to the dance department. I designed, uh, I applied to the fashion design department. Um, and because I was a teenager and we all don't make the best choices, I decided to major in dance and choreography. Um, at the time, actually, it was, it was great because I, as uh, somebody who knew how to sew, I made everybody's costumes from kind of the second I got into college till I left college and then went on to do wardrobe costume related stuff. Um, so yeah, so my degree is in dance and choreography. I also danced uh, for quite a while. Um, and I went to the place that you go when you want to be a dancer. Uh, I came to New York and made money, usually making costumes. Um, but I did dance for probably the first decade I got to New York. I danced, uh, you know, all the time. I mean, all the time, meaning between my restaurant shifts uh, at the barbecue restaurant in Times Square. Um, but yeah, so I, I pursued dance and I costuming kind of came along like hand in hand. So I've sort of did both of those things uh, sort of simultaneously uh, for like for a good amount of time. So dance is kind of the one thing that's fallen to the wayside, you know, as as my career has gone on and I've been in New York for a couple decades or so. And um, the dance actually is what ended up finding me into a puppet company. So right when I came to New York, not that long into it, maybe like uh, maybe less than two years, one of my fellow graduates from the college of dance I went to was in a puppet company and they needed a puppeteer. Uh, she knew that I was uh, a little puppet crazy, even though I'd never been a like official puppeteer before. And so I was um, hired into the puppet company, which I performed with for, I think like seven or eight years. Um, and we were all dancers. So it was basically a bunch of like professionally trained dancers who were wearing like dinosaur outfits. Um, and that was one of my like, best gigs as a dancer actually because we toured and we like you know got paid and all that kind of stuff which is actually hard to do as a dancer um but simultaneously the puppet company had this like great overlap because the woman i work for and her son made all the puppets and they were talking like um you know 10 foot long dinosaurs and giant things made out of like foam uh pipe, skeletons, fiberglass, all this different stuff. They used all these different like mediums. And so I got to watch them make the puppets. Um, and that was like a huge sort of part of me going from doing costumes to then incorporating puppets into what I actually made for people. Um, so that's kind of my first sort of, you know, over 20 years ago, coming to New York, I was dancing, performing as a puppeteer and uh, mostly designing costumes, but learning a ton about other uh, mediums through the puppet company I work for. Oh, that's, re that's really cool. That's a great story. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. It was a great start. Yeah, because just uh, two seemingly unrelated things uh, came together and they also just happened to be, you know, part of your interest. So you were able to, like, you know, multiply that together. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was really cool. And so that was like 
probably the first workshop I worked in. Um, so in that workshop, you know, they had, um, you know, drill presses and belt sanders and all this kind of stuff, because most of the puppets were made from either, you know, wood, foam, metal, um, there was an element of like sculpting to a lot of the um, like masks and stuff like that. So it was like this really interesting, like, uh, like cross section of all these different um, things that I hadn't really done before. And just, they were very hands-on and that, you know, if you're putting on a show, you always need somebody to help out. So I would get hired sometimes to just fabricate and, you know, they were very good at like teaching you how to like use the tools and then sort of just throwing you into like, you know, help do it. And I sewed. So the sewing thing always would come into handy. So, you know, I was uh, always around for like stitching together all the different pieces to create these like, you know, giant dinosaurs. That was like, I think the first show that I helped them make. And they were like, like giant sort of dinosaurs that you couldn't like put in a sewing machine, you know, so you're like hand sewing, you know, from the neck all the way down, like to the tail of these dinosaurs with like these little stitches. <laughs> It's something oh a young person would do without complaining. <laughs> right, right. Because they wouldn't know that that's just a really crazy thing to do. So it's like, of course, this is what you do. So <laughs> you just keep I, I actually it. didn't know any different. I was like, and I right. was always pretty eager. So uh, especially to learn anything new. And they were always like willing to sort of train me and then let me kind of go on and do stuff. So that was all, it was a great place to like learn a lot about, you know, things I'd never done before. Yeah, that's really cool. I think a lot of people end up doing something like that where they're just they're curious and they're in the right place. So they learn something new without, you know, having any kind of like formal education or, you know, there's no you didn't go to public college. You didn't uh, <laughs> you weren't familiar with all those techniques, but you were oh, able yeah. to use uh, all the, you know, some of the sewing and other stuff that you learned and uh, kind of how that relates to the, the new things you're learning and uh, just keep going from there. Yeah. And it's like to sort of like thinking about like, you know, coming here and talking today, like problem solving and all that sort of sort of things and watching other people solve problems in a way of like teaching you how to solve problems. Like one thing that I learned from that, like grouping of people. So like the woman I worked for had also like worked for Jim Henson and things like that. But she was really, um, what's the right word? Like, I don't know if scrappy is the right word, but they're really good at just like coming up with like, low tech solutions that just looked really great. Um, and so, you know, and we toured with these puppets, they got a lot of wear and tear and things like that. So I think I learned a lot about how, uh, like the solution to how you fix a puppet can be very like, uh, you know, fast and dirty because the audience isn't that close and you just need it to work for the show sort of thing. <laughs> right. When I think you think like the professionals are going to like fix things in this way. That's like, you know, they're going to open some sort of handbook that like says like how you fix this certain wire or something like that. When you realize, Oh, like if that gets the job done, like that's fine as long as it's not dangerous. And then we just sort of move on to the next, <laughs> the next problem. And right. uh, I just always like that, you know, watching these, these like older, more experienced uh, company sort of be like, well, this is how we fix it. And then they would sort of hand it off and be like, okay, well, you fix it however you think it needs to get fixed. And so you got to kind of like think for yourself and problem solve at the same time because uh, things break, break all the time, especially we had to take a lot of things together and put things back together. And, you know, it's a lot of hitch pins holding a bunch of pipes together, basically, <laughs> all the sets and stuff. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. So they trusted you to, they're like, okay, once you have a certain amount of, you know, knowledge that, that you could demonstrate, then they're like, okay, we know you can figure this out. Uh, it doesn't matter. You don't have to do it the same way I do it. Just as long as it gets done, that's what we need. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was really cool. Like once I was there for a few years too, and had like developed kind of a creative relationship with them, not that I was designing the puppets, they did not need me for designing, but sometimes they would just have like a troubleshooting sort of puppeteer uh, conversation about maybe how would you hold this puppet as the puppeteer? And that would help you kind of figure out how it should even be made. Like when they're making new pu puppets to, you know, for a new show or whatever, like thinking about like, you know, how are you going to stand? How are you going to hold it? How heavy is it? Um, 
and all those sort of things that you probably wouldn't, you know, think about when you're just like designing something to look a certain way. These things always had to be like, you know, packed up and then, you know, we'd have to perform it over and over and over again. So you had to like physically be able to perform without any sort of, you know, obviously injuries and have to make it like, you know, sort of like work for the body and, you know, things of that sort. Couldn't be too heavy, couldn't be too, you can't hold your hands over your head for too long, right? you know, at certain periods of time. That's a big one, yeah, <laughs> especially yeah. if you have hand puppets or something. <laughs> um, I know we talked about uh, recently you were trying to fix a certain puppet. Were you able to get the, find a solution to that one or are you still working on it? Well, it's funny because um, – I've been ignoring that puppet. So I have not figured out the solution to it. And um, I realized that I actually, so I designed a show um, 10 years ago. So I've been working for this one puppet company where I actually am their designer and fabricator. And so we made probably what has been the biggest show I've ever made for them, but it was 10 years ago. So when these puppets came back for some repairs, like it made me feel less bad that they were falling apart because they're 10 years old. Um, but I haven't, I, he's right here. Not that I know this is a podcast and nobody can see him, but I figured you might want to see him. Um, <laughs> so this is the rooster from the, from the show. So just sort of like to describe it. It's like a, a, a puppet rooster. Um, as far as functioning, its functions are really that its body is in two pieces and moves sort of like this. Um, so what we were talking about, Dave and I were talking about this at uh, the Hammerin is that the handles have come off and I'm trying to figure out a solution to, you can see the dreaded tape on them right now, a solution of how to get these to not come off. See, there it is. It just popped right off. There's my, there's my wire. I don't even know if you can see that. It's a uh, pretty thin. It's probably like the, um, like the thickness of like a big pencil lead inside a pencil. That's how thick the wire is. And then this handle I'm trying to figure out how to fill that space so it'll stay on permanently. Um, right, like a permanent repair. Yeah. So I've kept all your ideas in my head, but I haven't yet. Uh, this is actually what's coming up next is to fix to fix this guy. But uh, oh. yeah, it's got a little swingy legs here. That's cool. But yeah, this is something I made 10 years ago along with a full farm worth of animals. Um. So that show is called Hatched, and there's it's the star of the show is a marionette chicken, and he's got a friend that's a cow, and he's got a friend that's a lamb, and um, some birds, and um, obviously the rooster, and then the like the the actors are also the puppeteers, and they're wearing sort of like um, gingham costumes that I designed, you know, like they look like cute little farm farm people. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, but all those uh, puppets are actually interactive. So this rooster is not the most interactive one. The only thing this guy has that's any sort of thing that interacts is inside his beak. It's a teeny little magnet um, that interacts with a um, silicone worm that also has a magnet in it. So the rooster can like uh, go down towards the ground and pick up, you know, Obviously, the magnets are attracting, and it looks like the rooster has picked up the worm in his mouth. Um, so that's really all this guy really does. Some of the other characters in the show, um, there is a cow that actually can like lick the kids. So he's got um, a tongue that extends wow. through. It's like uh, it's all air powered. So the back puppeteer who does the back legs can push this plunger, and it delivers air into. It's basically like a party favor that's been adapted to turn into a tongue. So it like unrolls and then rolls back in and oh, like, wow. kisses the kids. <laughs> um, and then there is a, a nest full of birds that eat some other silicone worms. So they have like little holes in their mouths and the kids can feed them the worms. And then the worms go all the way through the center of their bodies into um, this nest. But then the nest has like a fake bottom on it. So the worms actually fall into the bottom of the nest, but the kids can't see them. They don't like fall onto the floor. <laughs> um, so the, all the there's a lot of puppets in that <laughs> show that have this like interactive element um, to them, which is which is cute. The kids actually like stand up and interact with the the puppets themselves. So they come back with repairs quite often, actually. 
Oh, I bet. Yeah. Anything that has extra moving parts, right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Wow. I'm glad I asked about that. I didn't <laughs> know about those uh, interactive cow. Yeah. There's actually a full size calf. Yeah. There's a calf, which is like the, the one with the tongue. Um, and it's got a PVC pipe skeleton. So like it, it's skeleton under all the, you know, the foam and the fur and everything is all like PVC pipe. But for some reason, I don't know, just the way it moves like on stage, its knees have broken multiple times. So sometimes it'll come back for like full knee replacement, Oh no! <laughs> which is just kind knee of like surgery. funny because you're like, yeah. <laughs> wow. So there's like pictures of like a cow in the studio with its knees like opened up and like, you know, I don't know. I didn't think the door hinges that I put as the knees had any possibility of ever breaking. They were like these really big, sturdy ones, but I think it was like the torque because obviously doors don't normally like go side to side. They're just, you know, on one axis. Right. Um, but for some reason it. Yeah. It's really interesting. Uh, yeah. Took, took a few, a few hinges to uh, figure out how to get it from like breaking every like, you know, 10th show or something like that. That show was fun to make. <laughs> so one of the things uh, that you do is you um, at maker camp, you bring your sewing machines and you have a little, uh, you know, just a little class there, just uh, four sewing machines at your table. And that was really popular. I think the people were there pretty much all weekend. Anytime you were there, there was, uh, you know, a few people uh, trying to learn sewing. Yeah. Um, thanks to Austin. Thank you, Austin, for having me. Um, he has asked me to come back again this year and do it again. Um, so I have been teaching sewing for about, uh, I guess, about like a decade now. Um, obviously, I've been sewing for longer than that. And then I started teaching. So I, it's probably one of my favorite things to do, probably besides designing and making puppets. Um, I like to teach because I like to learn stuff so much. And there's so many people like in the community who are so similar where they, you know, they know how to do all these things and they're looking to do some new thing that they haven't done before or that, you know. I'm sure you get this too, where you watch somebody do something, then you're like, I don't want to watch somebody do it. Like, I want to try it. Um, so that was really great. I We uh, had a lot of people wanting to sew at Maker Camp. And um, I think a lot of people like to talk about how they imagine it's going to be a little bit easier than it is. Uh, sewing is one of those things that kind of like, well, like most things that are well executed, it looks a lot easier because the person who is doing it kind of makes it look a little bit easier. Um, and sewing in particular, I find that you can hide a lot of your flaws because sewing is like one of those few things in the world that's done inside out and then turned right side out at the end, you know, like woodworking, blacksmithing, you know, all these different things. Like there's not really anything else that's actually constructed inside out, um, which takes like this other level of trying to imagine how it might come together when you have to construct it inside out. And then at the same time, all your sort of cut edges are hidden on the inside. So you can hide, you know, a lot of things when you sew because you don't necessarily see inside of the thing. Um, you know, like if the edge of a table is super wonky, like obviously you would see it. There's kind of no way to hide it uh, in the way you can, you know, you cut your edges on a piece of cloth and then you put them all on the inside. You don't necessarily see that part of it, at least. But yeah, so um, I like transferring the knowledge of sewing to other people. It's probably what I get asked about the most. And I think it is uh, what people assume that I do most. Uh, I do. I mean, I do do a lot of sewing, um, but it is it's kind of like because of the way my career went where I ended up opening clothing stores and I made clothing. And then I had my studio in one of my stores and then people saw me, they asked if they could learn how to sew. We eventually said, okay, let's figure out how to kind of open a little sewing school. That's just been something that's been like a big part of uh, the sort of outward facade <laughs> of what people, uh, like ask me to do as far as like teaching or, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm also always up for suggestions of what people like want to learn as far as sewing goes. Like sewing is one of those things where it's really amazing that it can cover like such a tremendous amount of categories. So like 
no matter who you are, you probably have an idea of something you might want to sew, and it's probably dramatically different than what somebody else wants to sew. Um, so that's really nice because you can kind of be sort of like that creative guide for so many different people in so many different elements, you know, meaning like you might want to learn how to like make a seat cover for your couch or something like that. And then somebody else wants to learn how to whatever, like make a wedding dress or something, something that's completely unrelated, but uses all the same tools, you know? That's great. Actually, I probably do need that someday to uh, make um, cushions and stuff for my couch. So I might have to <laughs> ask you about that. No, seriously, it's such a good, but it's such a good thing. It's like sewing just covers so many different categories. I'm always like surprised people will come to me with like sewing inventions that they want help, like prototyping and, um, or just basic stuff. Like I just, all my pants are always long. I just want to learn right. how to hem my pants. You know, it's like, the cool thing, it's like the same machine can execute uh, both of those tasks, which I'm not sure that overlaps as much with a lot of other tools now that I think about it. When you're sanding, it's like you're usually sanding one of maybe two materials, you know, it's like. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, maybe more than two, but with sewing, there's just so many, so many different fabrics and executions and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Andy was talking about that uh, when I was talking to him last time. You know that, that it's uh, you know there's he, the way he looks at uh, every kind of sewing project is pretty interesting, and just like even a couple examples he gave, just how different they can be. It's uh, it's definitely you know something you can keep oh, yeah. learning forever. And I liked how he was talking about like the fabric and like interacting with the fabric, and you know because things aren't necessarily like suitable for every sort of project, you know, some things you can sort of like overlap, maybe if you have a little bit extra of this fabric, maybe you can try to use it for that, you know, um, and sewing different fabrics can be really differently challenging, meaning it's like a lot of like stretchier stuff and thin stuff and silky slippery stuff is way harder to sew, you know, even, even for someone who's done it for a long time, like I, I, there's a few fabrics that are still my nemesis, no matter how many times I sew them and it comes up, I have to do it. I, you know, don't usually have a choice when uh, certain things come up, but if I never had to like, sew like silk charmeuse uh, for the rest of my life, I'd be okay <laughs> with that. I don't know if you've ever, if you know what that fabric is, but it's just like, so it even like you cut it, it starts to fray. And then it's like, you just got to like get to it as fast as possible. Or it's like, you know, your needle has to be super sharp. And there's just so many elements where there's lots of other fabrics that are so like kind, where they're like, that's okay. Your line's not that straight. It's okay. <laughs> that's how the fabric <laughs> feels. But not, not all fabrics are like that. But you'll see why a lot of people stick to certain genres of sewing, because uh Sometimes it just keeps it a little bit more, uh, your outcome is uh, more encouraging, you could say. Makes you want to keep doing it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. Did you, I don't know where you went to school. Like we had like a sewing class in middle school and you had to make like a stuffed animal and a couple, I don't even remember what else, but there was a few different things. And that was, yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, And I think they still do that. Yeah. They, so at my school, they didn't have sewing. Um, my mom had a sewing machine in the house growing up. By the time I was born, she wasn't super into using it. But um, in my school, we had something called fashion merchandising, which was like the closest thing as like a budding, whatever I was, uh, could get to like something that was sort of related to sewing. Um, basically, it was like we had these teachers and they kind of like talked about like fashion magazines or something, which kind of was not my genre, but the class got to go to New York. And that uh, was like a really cool part of it because they went to New York where some things were actually like made. And um, that was cool. But that one of my favorite questions is asking people what they made in their home at class. Um, and somehow a lot of people made stuffed sharks. Was your stuffed animal a shark? I made a shark. Yeah. You don't, do you still have it? No, um, it probably was at my mom's house, but uh, it's probably lost at this point. No. <laughs> but 
That's really funny. Yeah, because there was in, – in New York, I think pretty much all the schools did the same thing. And there yeah. was like this catalog that had like, here's all the patterns. And you could pick like what, you know, what pattern you wanted to make, you know, and there's probably a bunch of different animals. But yeah, I, I guess that was a fun one. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, no, it's kind of like a very iconic sort of in some ways simple shape. So it totally makes sense. Um, I wish they had had that at school. And I, to be honest, I think they should bring it back. I don't know who I can lobby to bring sewing back to school, but there's so much interest in it. And it's, it's like anything else. Like to me, it's like, you should know how to like change your light bulbs, uh, you know, clean your gutters. And so, you know, even if that's, you only do it like twice a year to fix something, it should be, you know, I think everyone should know how to sew. Yeah. That's, Maybe it'll, maybe it'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I have to, I, you know, I go, I work uh, one of my jobs. I go to a lot of schools and I know they still have, they still have cooking. I don't see, I mean, I know some schools have it, but I don't know if it's still required. Uh, but yeah, I definitely agree. We had, in our middle school, we took sewing and cooking. We took, we had a plastic shop where we did a bunch Ooh. of stuff with like polyester oh, resin, wow. which you probably shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. Um, we did injection molding. We had a wood shop, um, which is, and we did a metal class. We d- did a unit that had uh, electricity, so we learned how to like wire circuits. Oh. And we had a small engine repair class. So all those different things, everybody had to take in like seventh and eighth grade. It's so, va- so it's so valuable. Do you think any of that, like, made you interested in what, you know, like making things later because you had got like a taste of it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know the bandsaw was like my favorite thing back then. And this thing was probably like, you know, like nine feet tall. And it was, um, we, you know, we did like a, we worked in this, in that school where I went in middle school and that bandsaw was still there like just a few years ago. Oh, really? (laughs) Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we just basically my family, we always were fixing stuff and taking things apart and putting them back together. My dad learned like, TV repair in a correspondence course. So they would send him like binders of materials and stuff. So he learned how to take apart TVs and radios and stuff back in, you know, the sixties and seventies. And then, um, you know, so there was always like something that was taken apart in our house. So I just think it was almost natural that I would learn how to (laughs) do that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's where I got like curiosity of how things work. That's actually very cool. Right. I sort of grew up in uh, a little bit of the opposite where my parents were educators. They were, my dad was musical and artistic, but not like that type of artistic. So it was like, you know, he would draw and paint and do things like that, but nobody was really like a hands-on sort of thing. Um, I actually, for some reason, have this funny memory of like my dad's toolkit or like, we should put this in quotes. And it was like a little like box, maybe like no more than like, five by seven inches and like had a little handle on top and had like six slots in it. And it had like two screwdrivers and like, like an adjustable wrench. And that was like it. Like there was no other tools like ever, you know? And I just remember being like, when things had to be like fixed pretty early, I would ask if I could like help out or do it or things like that, because that was like, my brain was like so much better at that stuff. And, uh, but nobody, but nobody really showed me the way early as far as those things went, which I think is why when like I got to work in these different like studios and, um, I got to work at a couple carpentry shops, like, uh, at theaters and stuff like that. I just was, I just wanted everybody to like, show me how to use everything. I'd be like, could you just show me how to use that? Cause I want to know how to use that <laughs> tool or, you know, but it, it wasn't. Yeah, we were like a kind of artsy, craftsy home, but not like a super like, you know, makery, like physical three-dimensional kind of makery sort of thing. Like, I don't think my dad was changing the oil in the car or anything like that (laughs) himself, which is, he was good at a lot of other things. Oh, sure. Yeah. Everybody can't do everything. And yeah, just there's, that's why I think we see like that there's, you know, there's makers and artists and stuff who do every different thing. And then there's this subset of people who can't stop learning new things. So they have to try everything. 
I love to learn new stuff. I have to say, like, I, I kind of like it more than, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, maybe you should just concentrate on the stuff you already know, like a little bit more or something. Like, why do you keep like putting new things in it? But I think it's so interesting because you don't know when something's going to like cross over. Like, that's my favorite thing where like you learn that somebody in a different uh, like trade or something use a tool that you use in like your trade, but it's like you use it for like two totally different things. Um, I always find that like so fascinating. Like I actually learned today, this is like a total random thing, but I sometimes do this organizing for this musician saxophone player. I don't know. It just was like a friend recommended me and it just works out. I do it on Sundays sometimes. And he showed me that there's like this special knife that they use to um, basically thin out a reed so that it plays in this very exact way. Do you know about this? Are you like from a musician world or whatever? I just was like. I know what a reed is in a saxophone. (laughs) Yeah. So I know what a reed is in saxophone too, but there was like this special knife because we were just sorting, like we sort, we put stuff in, like we were, had like a bin that was called tools and accessories. And, and I was like, well, what is this even for? And he was like, cause it looked like sort of like a long chisel with a handle in a way. Like it was like that kind of blade, but then it was like longer and it had a handle. And he's like, you learn as a musician how to carve down your reed. I'm sure there's maybe a term for it. He didn't use a specific term, but so that it, you know, it vibrates in this like specific way. And I was like, that is just the most fascinating tool. And he's like, oh yeah, every, every musician would have one of these for thinning out their reeds. I was like, that's fascinating. And he likes telling me what everything does because I'm interested. Um, yeah, it's super interesting. And every once in a while, uh, you'll see something where you're like, oh, that's interesting. Like you use you use something like that for a different purpose and something else. There was a lot of get. Today was full of little teeny like gadgety things that I was like, oh, what's this for? <laughs> you know, but it's fascinating. That's I love, you know, learning all those like little things that just kind of like, you know, amp up whatever trade is that you do. Like, oh, but have you ever, you know, it's like for me, it's like certain types of scissors or certain types of things that other people wouldn't be like, oh, you use that. Yeah, that makes it a lot easier uh, if you have this like little tool or whatever. So I got a little intro into reed shaving, I guess it would be. But it was it was cool. <laughs> Who would have known? That, that's great. Yeah, it's not something I would have uh, imagined that I you know, would ever learn, but that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, if you probably every musician has some kind of special toolkit or, you know, all these things that is. Yeah. And it was like, to me, what makes it so interesting is every time I like learn about like what something does for like a different, you know, for that purpose, it like all of a sudden you like clock that tool and then maybe somewhere down the line, you need something for something else. And you'll just like, remember like, oh, they had that kind of tool for this. Like I've definitely used tools that aren't meant for, you know, that purpose, like in other, in other ways, you know, as sort of like a way to like, you know, solve a problem, like the more arsenal you have in your brain, as far as like things you've seen and tools you know about and ways different things are like executed just like you might like think about a way you could use that at somewhere down the line and something you know something you're doing hopefully or maybe I'm just want to run my mouth and have everybody tell me what everything does (laughs) (laughs) well it's probably both I am very interested in what things do no that's great (laughs) I I agree because I was thinking the same thing like once you once you start learning enough different types of tools then you kind of start understanding like how tools work with materials and then so if you have to solve a problem you're like okay i know this is the specific tool i need but what other tool can do something in a similar way do i already have that can work in a pinch and then i'll do this and if you you know then you're like okay that worked but really the correct tool would be really nice to have you know 
Right. Yeah. I mean, there are those upgrade moments in life where you've been using something that has worked and then somebody is like, oh, have you ever tried this? And then you try it and you're like, oh, dear God, that makes that so much easier. You know, that happens a lot with like when people cut fabric and they're like, I think that I don't cut fabric well. And then I was like, your your scissors are probably not sharp, you know, or like if you've used like a dull saw. And you're just like, oh, my God, like, this is so much work. And then someone like hands you like a nicer, like fresh something. And you're just like, oh, oh, yeah, that's much better. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how how many times you have to learn that uh, thing that like sharp tool is the, you know, w- you know, when it's like, oh, this this tool, when it's doing working this way, that's dull. You know, and it's time to sharpen it again, new blade or whatever. So you have to le- relearn that every time for every tool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Sometimes the tools that you get first just to try something out are not those really sharp tools also. So it's like, you know, you kind of, you kind of just make it work. And then, you know, it's always, it's always nice when people will like say like, you know, that might be, that might work better, but it's still cheap, you know, because sometimes you know that some sort of tool will make your life a lot easier, but it's a little out of your range, like financially or whatever. Um, so I always like when somebody is like, this is like a really great, like cheap solution, especially if you're only like executing something like a couple times, you know, like if you're somebody who does work that covers like a lot of different things, you know, like a lot of times, I mean, I'm always like thinking about puppets, but like sometimes you're just going to need to make like a single puppet and you need it to like, you need some random finish on its feet or something, you know, that's kind of a weird uh, scenario, but you might not want to invest in something that would work. Like if you are going to be doing it every day, you know? So I always like to, I don't know if you like to do this. Like I like to have like a good understanding of like what's in the art store and the, uh, hardware store. Like if I have time, I'll just like wander around and just look for things that like maybe have certain textures to them or something that I just imagine I could like maybe use differently or manipulate in a different way or something like that. Like, I don't know. I look at a lot of things for textures. Like I'm just looking at these rooster feet, you know, it's like chicken skin. It's like how many different ways are you going to replicate chicken skin? Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting question. It's a, it's a weird problem to have. <laughs> But I'm sure there's other puppeteers who are, or you know puppet makers are like, oh yeah, there's these these five things, and this one does this, and this one does this. But yeah, so it's just a curiosity, right? You're like, what is all these? What are all these different things in the store, and what are they used for? And what kind of person would use it? And you know, is it like what's the intended use? And then how other the other unintended ways can you use it to you know creatively uh, solve a problem or something? Yeah. Yeah. You might just need something that's like a shape, you know, like maybe I need something that's like a bird beak shape, you know, it's like, okay, I could make a bird beak out of different materials, but what might be something that's already shaped like a, you know, a bird's beak. I don't even, you know, this little beak over here is carved foam, but like every once in a while you'll see something that's just like already naturally that shape. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe like a pistachio shell. I don't know. That's the first thing that came to my head. Um, you just have to store all that stuff in your brain for, you know, I'll, I'll use this someday. I don't know what for. Right. Yeah. That's why it's like always good to be like taking in the things around you, you know, how they're made, all that kind of stuff. That's cool. And, and, you know, I liked what you said you were, you know, that you're just always interested in sharing information and teaching other people. Um, so you've been doing that before you even discovered like the online maker community. Yeah. So, um, I'm a big question asker (laughs) and, um, I've always, I've always liked to ask questions because I like to, like when I see somebody doing something, like I like to sort of maybe get an understanding, even if it's sometimes not anything I'm ever going to do. Like, it's nice to just get an understanding of like maybe what they're doing if they're up for telling you about it. Um, so I feel like there's a little bit of an exchange there in life. So it's like, if you are going to be somebody who is, uh, wanting people to maybe like explain you have to kind of explain back you know so I've always liked to be able to be any sort of like facilitator like whatever knowledge I have I there's nothing like 
I'm keeping for myself. You know what I mean? Like I would rather, if I've learned it, be able to like share it with somebody else who might also be interested in the same sort of information that, you know, that I've had. Um, So, yeah, so I've always liked teaching. I didn't do it in like a proper like classroom way until, I don't know, what was it like 2017 or something like that? When I finally was like, I'm going to have curriculum and, uh, you know, things like that. But sewing is the most straightforward thing. Like nobody's ever come to me and like, well, that's not entirely true. People do ask me to teach some other things, but usually it's sewing as a, as a core. I'm not sure I'm really authorized to teach uh, anything besides, you know, the curriculum I taught for Robot Foundry, which is where I ended up falling into like uh, five or so years ago. Uh, I taught I taught like basic engineering and basic circuitry for Robot Foundry. So that was fun too, but that's kids. Like um, no offense to kids, but you really only need to know about like, like the teeniest bit more than they do <laughs> to be able to teach them. I mean, in some circumstances, but it's like, if I understood how uh, a certain type of switch worked you know, I didn't need to know the kind of amount to then go and like, you know, get a, like a job at NASA. I just needed to know how to explain it to a point where I could get them to make a working circuit, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, that's, that's interesting. Right. I think that that's uh, what a lot of people end up doing anyway, right? You just, you just learn just enough to get going. And then if you're presented with a new situation then you have to learn up to like the next level to keep going so yeah like i I would say when i work for robot foundry i probably well i definitely learned more than i taught because a lot of the people i worked with like did have those sort of like backgrounds as far as um you know engineering and electronics and all that sort of stuff so they are the people who could like explain to me the more like in-depth things about, you know, how an electromagnet like works and certain things about how the wires are twisted and things of that sort. But even the level that they might've explained to me wasn't even the level I needed to like teach in like the classroom, because that was like too much necessarily for a first grader to even sort of comprehend, you know, it's more about this is where the electrons come from and this is the pathway they travel through and, you know, a switch will open and close your, your circuit and things like that. But kids are fun to teach because they, they don't know. (laughs) They're excited. A light turns on, a motor goes, they're super excited. But then, you know, so are most people when they're doing something for like the first time like me blacksmithing i'm super excited at the very sort of sad rough looking uh bottle opener i just made (laughs) was that last weekend (laughs) right yeah um yeah i I can't remember (laughs) so 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 much life happened in between them but yeah yeah it's like i was saying to somebody it's like my kid art you know because i feel like i just learned how to like put the two eyes inside the circle and make like a happy face you know that's like my level of blacksmithing at this point you know but i'm pretty proud of myself (laughs) like it was flat when i started and now it's not flat like all right yeah it's funny because we're all there just experimenting and learning on the go but i have to say it's like sometimes i know like People start something and then if they're not immediately really good at it, it's super frustrating because they see, you know, like, um, for example, those, uh, what we call those like sort of flower pods that Chris brought to put onto the fire pit. Like those were exquisite. (laughs) Those were beautiful. Um, But like, I have no expectation that anything I make would look like that, like, or even close to that, like, and probably like for a long time. Um, But sometimes myself, I have students where if their work doesn't look good faster, like they're super disappointed in the process and maybe they don't even continue um, because uh, they're, you know, they're they're not getting results fast enough. Um, I really like the process of it too, like learning about, you know, as we've mentioned, I really like tools. So it's like even just learning about like different hammers is kind of like part of the process of even like 
doing the work. Like, why does this hammer work different than this? And why is this this shape? And although I'm not sure anybody has an answer always, because sometimes you'll get like, yeah, somebody just thought that looked cool. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, that's definitely a common thing. Like for some people, they don't. Yeah, you have to learn that you need to learn and give yourself the time and the space to not be great at something and look at you know where you didn't meet your expectations and figure out okay this is I'm not happy with this aspect what can I do to change that next time and get better at it you know and keep you know, have to have that uh, confidence that you can learn something new like that you you know you got to this step and you know that that it's possible you know through your asking a bunch of questions that you can get to the next step. And that's like a nice thing about the different people in the community is that people are not just, everybody is very open with their knowledge. You know, like most people are not like, Oh, I can't tell you how I do that. It's like kind of the opposite. I mean, that's, it's like this just sort of like sharing thing, um, which is probably why I'm, you know, very drawn to interacting with people because I just, I just learn so much. You know, just like watching people make stuff that you, I'm probably never going to make that, but it doesn't really matter. It's just like, I'm probably going to learn something or like, just even have like a new like mental tool in my arsenal of watching somebody do that thing. And, you know, I'm surprised when stuff like comes up where you're just like, someone will ask me to make something for usually like for a show and... I don't have any idea, like even what it should be made out of. Like recently I made a cocoon. I don't know if you saw any photos of that cocoon, but um, they told me what size they needed it to kind of be. They told me that they wanted a butterfly to come out of it. It had to happen like show after show, like it was a part of the show. Um, and at first I had some sort of idea I was going to make it out of like paper mache or something because I've made some other props out of that that it also had to have like light had to come through it so it had to be like a translucent material is that the right word transparent translucent right with light um so in the end i used um like thermoplastic and it was so like random i had seen somebody in a video use thermoplastic and i was like hmm i it dries clear or it can if you don't put a pigment in it and so I did some experiments with this thermoplastic, and that is what the cocoon ended up being made out wow. of. But I, I never made anything out of that material before, <laughs> you know. But it's like I had watched—I actually watched somebody make something out of it in some video, and uh, then was like curious. And then once I was curious about the material, it was kind of like just percolating in the back, almost like waiting for the time where someone was going to ask me to make something that it seemed like the right material for. Um, and so far it's been back once because it's circuit wasn't super strong. So I had to do some stuff because it like hangs from a tree branch. So there's like weight on the circuit and stuff. Um, but like knock on wood, it's hasn't, uh, hasn't the physical cocoon hasn't broken yet. It seemed that part seems pretty strong. Um, so I know a little bit more about thermoplastic. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to ask me to make another cocoon anytime soon. <laughs> but wow, that's really cool. Yeah, not a lot of people are going to be like, "Oh yeah, I make, I can sew, and I can, you know, work with these types of materials." And then someone's just like, "We need to solve this problem. We don't know what the answer is," and you're just able to, like, just pick that out of the universe that there was a material that was the exact properties that uh, solve that problem. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's this, I, that happens sort of a lot. Like, well, I'll get like pulled into a show and they'll tell me the concept. Maybe they'll have like some elements, maybe some like visual elements, like maybe um, it's based on a book. Like I recently did a show that was based on a book. So sometimes you'll have some visuals that the company does want to kind of like replicate but then there's like this huge middle ground between their description of how they maybe see something working and then something that actually is like in the show like going on tour or something like that um and sometimes there's like a lot of experimenting 
like in between. And it's just kind of like taking my best guess and going in a direction and then in the process of doing that, maybe figuring out if, uh, if that would really like work like consistently also, that's a big part of it. Like it might work once. Um, I'm trying to think of something, actually a solution that ended up not working that I thought was a good direction was I made some, um, hydraulic flowers that if you pushed this, like, um, basically if th this, this character, he sat in the chair and then we sat in the chair, these flowers were supposed to grow up behind his head. And so the flowers were on, um, like basically like plungers and the other side of the plunger was uh, connected to like this, like little foot rest. So when the actor put his feet down, obviously it would push the water through the tubes and then the flowers would just grow up behind his head. Um, and I got it to work like pretty consistently, but it was too complicated and got cut from the show. Oh, darn. That's so cool. Right. And I thought it was like a good solution. In the end, the actor actually just wears a, like a headpiece um, that has all the flowers just attached to it. And then that's one scene. And then in a different scene, the actor has sort of the same headdress, except there's like little tubes that fit the flowers inside them. And then another character like is supposed to be like uh picking the flowers, like cutting them off or whatever. And so the other actor like pulls them out and then has this like bouquet of flowers. But that was like, there was just all these elements about the first like hydraulic solution that just couldn't work. It looked good if you were like standing directly in front of the chair. But then if you were like off to the angle, it was hard to like not see the mechanism. And, but it was one of those things where it only, we only knew it didn't work by me making it, if that makes sense. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. You had to do the experiment. And it's like sometimes the experiment is just making like a prototype or like just trying it and seeing if like, does that really work? And then it's a, it's a little bit uh, like walking into the dark and just hoping that you've gathered enough information and you're not too precious about anything that they don't like. That's a big part of it too, <laughs> you know, because sometimes you're like, oh, I think this is cool. And then they're like, no, nah, that's not really working. And you're like, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. It has to, it has to practically solve that problem and it has to work when you're not there. So. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Yeah. There are a lot of things that work in my studio and then I send it off to rehearsal and it just doesn't, it doesn't work as well you know obviously as a human i'm like different proportions than other people so maybe if it's like a puppet or something like it works well the way i'm holding it but it doesn't necessarily work the same when somebody else is holding it or you know stuff like that yeah there's a lot of uh there's a lot of troubleshooting and problem solving when they're like literally they're like there's no map it's not like somebody's like here's the instructions for this um you know, sheep that's supposed to drink from a giant baby bottle. You know, it's like, there's no, there's nobody telling us how that's supposed to be executed. So we just try things and see if it seems to like work. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I use glue that I think is going to be great. And then it doesn't stick to the surfaces that you think it's going to stick to. Yeah. That's a big one. <laughs> things coming apart yeah i think that's like uh, choosing the right glue is like a metaphor for everything that we do in this <laughs> kind of thing where we're always creatively just coming up with things that never existed before right do you ever use the this to that website um yeah i started using it yeah but um i haven't i don't know that there's anything i haven't come up with anything that i needed it for but sometimes people ask questions and yeah. then i'm like oh i think there's there's a website for that <laughs> You know, so, so I haven't come up with any problems yet, but I don't. Yeah, no, I actually, strangely enough, I use that website a lot, but a lot of times the solution is like, A, I have like bins of glue. So you would think that it would just have at least one glue that I already have, like in my studio. Um, 
But a lot of times it'll be like something where I need like a little bit longer of like setting time than like something that has to like come in and go out like really quickly or, you know, things like that. Actually, not really a fan of ever using tape on something, but somehow, somehow the tape comes out, (laughs) you know, taping things together is never my (laughs) choice, but you know, sometimes it happens. Not, not like a a costume, but maybe like a, a puppet or part of a set or something like that. Yeah, that's funny. I was the the printer at the office where I work uh, was had a broken piece, and I went on. You can order the replacement parts online. I went online, and they was out of stock, or they didn't have it. And it's like thirty five dollars is little piece of plastic, and I was gonna go oh, and three D model it and print a new one. Um, but oh, then, did you? No, because I I'm not good at three D modeling, and I it hesitated to do it. So, but I actually took a piece of Gorilla tape. And I wrapped it around there, and that's working perfectly. Oh, there you go. So sometimes tape is the solution. Yeah. <laughs> but rarely. It's rarely a good solution. But so far, it's working. In my in my deep dive into thermoplastic, uh, I saw a lot of people using it for things like that, where they would, like, make, like, you know, like a little handle or something like that. Maybe that's what I should have made this out of. Um, yeah, in ways, because it's pretty rigid when it's uh, – but it can't go anywhere where it's going to get super hot, because it'll just – melt and you can reform it has to be something that stays rigid but that's cool all the 3d printing of things is like so impressive i've never had a 3d printer yeah but rapid prototyping is very is very cool i definitely think if i for some reason had a 3d printer or something like that i could figure out how to utilize it for things i just don't at the moment maybe the next studio i'll have space for a 3d printer but i see people use it in really cool you know, ways of solving, solving problems where you couldn't go and find that anywhere. That's true. I'll let that part out. But yeah, my friend Morley is, he's been doing this whole series of solving little problems around his house, uh, modeling and 3d printing stuff. It's really, it's really cool. And I've learned a lot just by watching him. Uh, so I'm going to have to try to start doing some of that myself. Yeah, that's cool. I I've tried to do a little 3d modeling myself uh sometimes i design things and like they just want a better sketch or something than just pen and paper and whatever uh so i've tried to do some of that but i just i i haven't i haven't had to do it and so i'm sure if i had to i hopefully could learn i would like to be able to it i know a lot of people who who also like design sewing patterns in those sort of um programs because you can just like do all the flat physical pieces and you know, maybe you're not 3D printing it, but you have the ability to even sometimes like send it to something to then cut out your pieces. All that technology is very cool. Yeah. Do you know Brooke from uh, Maker's Workshop? Yeah. She's laser cutting uh, fabric. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, yeah. That dress. I haven't watched like the whole from beginning to end. I've seen the little snippets. That is very cool. I've never, the closest thing to any sort of like technology like that I have is I have like a cricket cutter that I have cut out, you know, some things, uh, but nothing, any, nothing like full scale. And it's not, it's a little too glitchy to try to like do any sort of like production or merchandise, you know, with it or whatever. But I love that thing. That thing is, is very cool. I used it for a lot of like stencils and different things for a while. Like when I saw the store, I was doing a bunch of different, like, like, um, bleach, and paint like I do a stencil and then do bleach or paint around it or whatever but the cricket was so cool to do that and actually the reason I ended up getting one was uh for making shadow puppets because I did a show that was all shadow puppets and that was another like deep dive of how to figure how to figure out how to solve the problem of somebody asking me to cut all these teeny little figures for a shadow puppetry show and getting going to like a cool workshop of somebody who first thing they said, they're like, you don't want to spend all your time cutting out these shapes. You just get one of these cutters, you get a binder from the dollar store. And that's how you make all these really cool, intricate shadow puppets. Oh, wow. And then I, I realized it did a bunch of other stuff. So I've had it in the studio, but yeah, that was a, that was, that was a good day when somebody basically told me that that's how I should do it as opposed to trying to like cut tiny little shapes with my own little hands. 
it saved a lot. And we were able to like do so much. We we're like, oh, that whatever, that boy running shadow puppet we need for this scene. It's too small. We need a different proportion. We need whatever. We could just like enlarge it, cut another one. It was a really cool way of, uh, you know, like making iterations of the iterations of the same figure in all these different ways, like really fast. That was fun. I would, I would love to do another shadow puppetry show just using that. It's cool. You can do a lot of mechanisms in shadow puppets too, like, you know, where you can get them to have moving linkages and talk and move parts. And that's a fun, that's a fun deep dive. Wow. I never even thought of uh, shadow puppets in that type of depth. That's really amazing. (laughs) It's so cool. I don't have that many shadow puppets in here. Yeah. There's like this little, this little mouse and it's mechanism of how to make its mouth move is like, super simple you know it's just like you you can hold it in one hand and you can move the mouth just with one finger it's just the simple because they're also very light and all this kind of stuff in case anybody i've had a couple shadow puppets appear here and there and little things i've done of my own but there's a there's a bunch of that show that i was talking about with the flowers that's also the same show that they they did a bunch of shadow puppets but Luckily, someone else solved that problem before I got to it. I just had to like use their technique. <laughs> there you go. That's great. I appreciate that. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Anytime. That's cool. Well, I think it's it's been about an hour, and uh, it's a great conversation. I'm sure we could keep going for a long time, but I don't want to take up your whole uh, evening. Uh, that's cool. Let's have yeah. one question that uh, I figured I'm going to start coming up with some kind of question to close out the show. And uh, so what are you excited to learn next? Is there something that's the next thing that you want to learn? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I definitely want to learn more about blacksmithing. Like I definitely like see so many people do all the super talented like transformation. Like I like, like the transformation of the metal is like super intriguing. And again, it's like so many different people take the same skill and turn it into so many different things. So I'd, you know, I'd like to learn more about that. Um, what else? I'd like to, um, gosh, it's like, that's, that's actually a hard question. Because <laughs> yeah. I just want to like. I did just spring it on you. I didn't, I didn't warn you to plan ahead. No, it's fine. It's fine. I'm like looking around my studio, like what is like waiting for me to, uh, to do, uh, you know, sometimes you get certain tools and then you just like don't necessarily get around to it because, you know, other things come in. Um, I, I would, I don't know. I think I just would like to possibly like learn how to like incorporate a lot of things I know into like new things, if that makes sense. Like um, I don't have the space and I have kind of less space since the pandemic, but um I'd really like to figure out how to like meld like the sewing thing into like actual like upholstered furniture. (laughs) Um, Like I've done some upholstered furniture, but I'd like to see if I could actually like use some of the other things that I um, have seen people do. Like I, I just don't have all the tools to do it. So like, let's say like how to make legs for a piece of furniture or, you know, a lot of times that inner structure like doesn't necessarily have to be, gorgeous if it's being upholstered it just has to be strong um but that's something i kind of would like to figure out how to turn a bunch of things that i know of kind of base level about into something more kind of like tangible like that you could like sit on (laughs) hang out in and have it be comfortable that's one thing. I see a lot of people make furniture and you're like, who can sit in that chair for a long period of time? It does not look very <laughs> Yeah, it just has to be long enough for the video. Then they don't have to sit in it again. <laughs> yes, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I always have this like dream. This is probably, yeah. My dream has always been to like be in an environment where like most of the stuff around me is either made by people I know or handmade maybe by people I don't know or, you know, partially made by myself. So I feel like that's kind of part of it too. Like furniture, like 
functional furniture is not necessarily something that you see a lot of people making. I know maybe it's too big or something, but be interesting. Cause I mean, it's also like all the elements, like if you looked around my studio, I have like big pieces of foam, but those pieces of foam were from making some puppets. <laughs> it's like, I have all the different elements, but they were just used for like completely opposite, opposite things. I don't know. I guess, I guess that's uh, like sturdy furniture design that I could then cover with foam and fabric in an interesting way. But it's probably not going to happen in this teeny studio, but maybe the next one. Well, you'll find a, I'm sure you'll find a space or a makerspace or something uh, you know, to, to make that happen. Yeah. Or I'll just keep going up upstate and then, you know, slowly make a little workshop up there. Maybe that'll be the future goal. Yeah, I think that's going to happen. People are just going to going to start claiming parts of the block throne and start building their own workshops on there. It feels like it. I mean, it's like, you know, it's definitely New York City is getting harder and harder to have uh, a studio that you feel like isn't maybe going to just get taken out from under you under circumstances. I mean, obviously, we've been under weird circumstances the last few years, but it'd be nice to like park big tools in a room that you know that you don't have to move it unless you want to move it, you know. But right. Yeah. It was very nice to talk to you. I hope anything I said was remotely interesting. <laughs> it's a lot of different things. And now it's like my life is sort of. Oh, it's fascinating. I'm really glad uh, we got to talk. Uh... Yeah. But it's also, I'm not a big, I'm not like a big social media person. I don't know. I think I sometimes get nervous about posting things because a lot of stuff I'm doing is for clients. So I'm never quite sure if I'm allowed to always post stuff or if I change things dramatically, sometimes I don't want to like, I, I document a lot of things on my own, but I don't just, I don't always share all the things I, you know, document. Maybe I, you know, I just get nervous that it, uh, it's like going across a line that maybe I shouldn't show people, <laughs> but there's always some, there's always something interesting going on in my studio. That's cool. Well, I appreciate uh, talking to me and I'm sure definitely you have to have more in-person events and maybe some, you know, maybe more kind of conversations like this online. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Have a good uh, evening. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Bye. That's it for this episode of Making Problems to Solve. You can find Patty on Instagram at Patty Brooklyn, P-A-T-T-I-B-R-O-O-K-L-Y-N. You can find the podcast at Making Problems to Solve on Instagram. And you can find me at Dave Bauer Art on Instagram. Thanks for listening and make it a great day.